Good morning. How are you guys today? What's this? A mirror. When you look into a mirror, what do you see? Yourself. And as you get older, you'll learn that sometimes mirrors are not so fun. You know why? Because you look in a mirror and you'll see all the things that are wrong with you, right? You'll see things that you don't like about yourself. Or if you get some food on your face and you don't know it's there, maybe you need a mirror to see that it's there, that you need to wash your face. Or if your hair doesn't look quite right, maybe the mirror can, can show you that. Sometimes the mirror shows us a, a view of ourselves that we don't really like. But sometimes, like maybe this morning, you guys are all dressed up. You look very nice. Your hair's done. Maybe you look in the mirror and you say, wow, I, I look pretty good today. I look great. I'm all clean and my hair is nice. I look good. Today we're, we're learning that God's word is like a mirror. Sometimes we look into God's mirror of the law and what do we see? Dirty, filthy me. I'm a sinner. When we look into the mirror of God's law, it shows us that we are sinners that, that don't do what God wants us to do all the time. It shows us the dirt of our sin. But then we hear the gospel. We hear the good news that Jesus has forgiven all of our sins. He's washed us and made us clean. So now we look into the gospel of God's word and what do we see? We look good, right? The encouragement today is when you look at God's word and you see your sin, but then you see that Jesus cleaned you up, walk away remembering what you saw. Don't be like a person who looks in the mirror and then walks away and immediately forgets what they look like. Walk away remembering what you look like. Walk away remembering what Jesus has done for you. Walk away remembering that you are clean. The fact that Jesus has made you clean changes everything. It even changes the things that we ask our God for in prayer. When we approach our God, we don't ask him to make us rich so that we could be happy, so that we could do all the things that we want, but maybe we ask him to give us more money so that we can help our neighbors, so that we could serve God with our money. We don't ask our God to, to give us better health so that we could do all the things that we want to do. We ask him to give us good health so that we can serve our neighbors, so that we could serve our God. You see, when we walk away from God's word and remember that he has made us clean, that impacts the way we live our life, a life of thanksgiving to the God who cleaned us up, who made us look so good. And so today we're going to say a prayer. We're going to say a prayer in Jesus' name. We're going to ask him to help us remember what we look like, to help us remember that in Jesus we look good. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for loving us, for giving us your word, for showing us who we really are, for showing us the ugliness of our sin. But we also thank you for your son, Jesus, who has cleaned us up and made us look beautiful and perfect in your sight. Help us to walk away from church today remembering that Jesus has made us look good. As we remember how good we look, help us to want to say thank you to you, to serve you and to serve our neighbor. In Jesus' name, amen. Portion of God's word that we will focus our attention on this morning comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 16. 
Jesus says to his disciples, Amen, amen, I tell you. Whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive, so that your joy may be made complete. I've told you these things using figurative language. A time is coming when I will no longer speak to you using figurative language, but I will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day you will ask in my name, and I am not telling you that I will make requests of the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world. Now I am going to leave the world and go to the Father. Yes, his disciples said, now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative language. Now we know that you know everything and do not need to have anyone ask you anything. For this reason, we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, now do you believe? Listen, a time is coming, in fact, it is here when you will be scattered, everyone to his own home. You will leave me all alone. Yet I am not going to be alone because the Father is with me. I have told you these things so that you may have peace in me. In this world, you are going to have trouble. But be courageous. I have overcome the world. This is the gospel of our, of our Lord. Please be seated. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would bless our time in your word today. Bless the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I mentioned it at the beginning of the service today, and I'll mention it again. We are going to take a a detour through our Old Testament lesson this morning on our way back to the gospel lesson. And we're going to start with a a history lesson, a, a review of history. The date is 605 B.C., the Battle of Carchemish. It's a famous battle where the king of Egypt and the king of Babylon went up to a town called Carchemish and they all collided there with the king of Assyria. So you had three nations, Assyria, Egypt, and Babylon. And Assyria and Egypt were kind of on the same team. If, if you could, i got to do the mirror here, but if you could picture the Mediterranean Sea over here and then the nation of Israel here, Egypt's down here, Assyria is up here and Babylon's way over here. Assyria and Egypt were kind of teaming up against Babylon But King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon in 605 BC defeated Assyria and Egypt in the same battle, and then he went south on a victory parade. No more battles needed to be fought. But they showed up in Jerusalem in 605, and they took some of the best and brightest people from Jerusalem back to Babylon with them. And this is when most scholars believe that people like Daniel, from Daniel in the lion's den, And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the three men in the fiery furnace, they were taken from Jerusalem all the way to Babylon, a thousand miles away from home. The second date is 597 BC. So eight years later, Nebuchadnezzar shows up again. And this time he removes all hope for the people who are living in Jerusalem. He takes the king, he takes the the soldiers, 
He takes all the rest of the leaders and gifted humans who could possibly lead a rebellion. He takes all of them back to Babylon. And so now all that you have left in Jerusalem are the poorest of the poor, the weakest of the weak, and a puppet king set up to serve King Nebuchadnezzar and his kingdom. Fast forward 11 more years to 586 B.C., Nebuchadnezzar comes back again when the puppet king tries to rebel against him, wipes out the entire city of Jerusalem, destroys the temple, tears down the walls, takes everything from the temple and all the people back to Babylon. Now, before 605, Jeremiah, the prophet, had been serving as a prophet in Judah for 23 years. I've been pastor here for two Jeremiah basically preached the same sermon for 23 years, week after week after week. He told the people that they were idolaters who had run off after other gods and that the king of heaven and earth had promised to send a king from the north who would come and destroy them if they did not repent and return to the Lord. Well, for 23 years, that message fell on deaf ears. People even tried to kill Jeremiah and the other prophets of the Lord. And now, here they are, exiled in Babylon, exactly as God said would happen. Now, after the second exile in 593, Jeremiah writes these words in chapter 29. He's still in Jerusalem, and he's writing to the first two waves of captives who have started living their new life in Babylon. God is giving them instructions on how they are to live, how they are to pray. But before I read these words to you in their context, I want you to just think for a minute, what would your prayers have sounded like? If you were living in Babylon under the rule of a foreign king a thousand miles from your home, what would you have prayed for? Would you have prayed for the destruction of your enemies, that God would come and destroy Babylon? Would you pray for your family that were still back in Jerusalem? What what would your prayers have looked like? Well, take a listen to the instructions that the Lord gives through the prophet Jeremiah. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there, do not decrease. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it. Because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. Do not let the prophets and the diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, 
and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. So to connect it to our children's devotion, for all these years, God's people had been hearing the message of the prophets. They'd been looking into the mirror of God's law. They had been shown their sin, and yet they would walk away immediately forgetting what they looked like. And they wanted these false prophets to tell them all sorts of things like, oh, don't listen to what Jeremiah says. The Lord loves you. No one's going to come and harm you. Nothing bad's going to happen. You're just fine. Keep doing what you're doing. So through the prophet Jeremiah, the Lord would show the sin to the people and they would walk away immediately forgetting what they looked like, immediately forgetting that they needed help, looking for other messages to tell them that they were beautiful and that they had everything they needed and that they looked just fine. Well, now what's happened? They know who the true prophet is. Jeremiah was the one who was speaking the word of God. How do they know? Because they're in Babylon. The punishment that God had prophesied had already taken place. And so the word of God had been validated. The people see that their sin, shown to them by the word of God through the prophet Jeremiah, was the cause of this exile to Babylon. The reason they are where they are is because of their sin. And so they've been forced. As God's word is fulfilled, they're forced to reckon with what they see in the mirror. They really were as filthy as Jeremiah said they were. But now, to these people who are being punished for their sin and living in a land far, far away from home, the Lord comes with these beautiful promises. He says, increase, live in the land, pray for the blessing of the nation that has captured you. As it prospers, you will prosper. Increase in number, and in 70 years your offspring are going to be brought back to your homeland. God shows love, he shows grace, he shows mercy and forgiveness to the people who had sinned against him. And what is the prayer? It's basically a prayer to glorify God, a prayer to give glory to God, a prayer that validates what God's word says, a prayer that trusts God's promises to show love to future generations, a prayer that trusts God's promise to send a king who's going to sit on David's throne and rule for all eternity, a kingdom that will never end. Now fast forward to the upper room on Maundy Thursday where the king that, that God promised to send is teaching his disciples how to pray, how to pray in his name. He begins by pointing them to the fact that this is something they had not done before. They had never prayed in Jesus' name. They had never prayed in the name of the Son of God. They prayed to Yahweh. They prayed to the God who promised to save them. But until they understood not only who Jesus was, the eternal Son of God come to save them, but understood what Jesus meant for them, it really made no sense to pray in Jesus' name. But Jesus begins by instructing them that this will soon change. Ask and you will receive so that your joy may be complete. And then he goes on to say, In that day you will ask in my name. And I am not telling you that you will make requests of the Father 
that I will make requests of the Father on your behalf. So Jesus is saying, it's not that I'm going to go to the Father and ask him for you. No, when you pray in my name, the Father himself will listen. For the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. A prayer in Jesus' name is not all that different from the prayers that were offered by the people living in Babylon. It's a prayer that understands not only who Jesus is, but what he means for the person offering the prayer. Did you catch what Jesus said about the relationship with the Father? He said the Father loves you. In John 3.16, we're told God so loved the world. Jesus also says, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. The word Jesus uses there is agape. As I have loved you, as I have agaped you, you must love one another, agape. God so loved the world, agape love. Agape love is love that God shows to everyone, whether they believe in him or not. It's love that's faithful to his promises, that shows love to the unlovable, to filthy sinners like you and me. But it's not the word Jesus uses here. The love the Father has for you that Jesus describes here is phileo. It's the word for brotherly love. It's the love that two buddies, two pals, that a group of girlfriends have for each other. It's love on the basis of similarity. And what's the similarity that we have with the Father? Well, you look in the mirror of God's word and you, and you see your sin and you look filthy, you look nothing like the Father, but it's the gospel. An understanding of what Jesus' cross and empty tomb means, that you have been purified, cleansed, made perfectly righteous, that helps this make sense. What do you have in common with the Father? You are pure like him. You are clean like him. You are righteous like your father. And so like a best friend, like a buddy, who's always there for you when you need help, your father's there waiting to listen to your prayers, always willing, always ready to help you with whatever you need because you are like him, pure, righteous, holy. That's what Jesus means. And so a prayer in Jesus' name is similar to the prayer of the people in Babylon because it understands what God's word says. It understands what the mirror of the law shows, that yes, I am a filthy sinner, but it understands what the mirror of the gospel shows as well, that I am, I've been made clean, I've been made righteous, I've been made holy. And so a prayer in Jesus' name is a prayer to the Father that is confident and comfortable just like you would call up your best friend and say, hey, I need a hand, I need a favor, could you come over? And before you ask, you know what they're going to say. You know they're going to say, absolutely, I'll, I'll be right there. <clears throat> Whatever I can do. When you pray to the Father in Jesus' name, you are praying to the one, you're praying in the name of the one who has made you the Father's friend. And that changes everything about your prayer. Your prayers are not going to be selfish prayers. They're not going to be prayers that seek your own glory. 
They're going to be prayers that seek the glory of the one who, who made you clean. Think of it this way. You can ask God for all the money in the world in Jesus' name. But the prayer in Jesus' name that asks God for all the money in the world is not asking for all that money so that you can get all the things you want, so you can do all the things you want to do, so you can glorify yourself. A prayer for all the money in Jesus' name is, Lord, so I can help others who are in need. Lord, so I can serve you. Lord, so I can put that money to really good use to serve you and to serve my neighbor. A prayer for good health does not need to be a selfish prayer, not when it's in Jesus' name. Because a prayer for good health in Jesus' name is not a prayer that asks God to give me health so that I can do the things I want to do. No, it's, Lord, so I could serve you in your kingdom, so I could show love to my neighbor, so I can be more active in serving you and carrying out your work. See, a prayer in Jesus' name is a prayer that brings glory to God, a prayer that asks that his will be done, a prayer that knows what God's word says, who looks into the mirror of God's word and when, walks, when they walk away, they don't forget what they look like. It's a prayer that keeps in perspective what God's word says. Yes, you like me are a filthy sinner, but you like me have been made clean. And because we are clean, because we are like the father, he loves us like a best friend. And so we have this privilege. We have this privilege of approaching our God in prayer and praying in the name of the one who has made us clean, knowing that the Father who listens is right there, ready to help, ready to give us whatever we ask in Jesus' name. May God be glorified in our prayers. In Jesus' name, amen.